Welcome to Therapist's Guide to Getting Unstuck, the podcast all about erasing the stigma around mental health. I'm Monica Pitek Fugetti, a licensed and nationally certified counselor specializing in anxiety and trauma treatment. You can find out more about me on my website at wholemindwellnessplc.com. Now let's get on to the show. Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to the first Thursday of 2021. And I hope that 2021 proves to be a better year than 2020. I am your host, Monica Pitek Fugetti of Whole Mind Wellness, and this is the Therapist Guide to Getting Unstuck. So before I get started today into the episode, I just want to have some commentary on a show I have binge watched and oddly really enjoyed. I started watching Cobra Kai and I'm just going to say I'm not a huge fan of the writing, not a huge fan of the acting, but I love this show. And I fell in love with Johnny, who, if you are not familiar with The Karate Kid, was the nemesis. I really like this show, um, not because it's like a great show, but because I really like the storytelling behind the characters. Because when we saw The Karate Kid, We are made to believe that Johnny is this bully and Kreese is also an older bully and Daniel is getting bullied and he is the hero of the show. And while I'll say that, you know, I don't totally disagree with that premise in in the movie, in Cobra Kai, it's really interesting how they develop the characters. And from a a psychology perspective, it really makes you stop and pause for a minute because they go back in time to the each individual's perspective. So Johnny, for instance, one scene was really hilarious to me because um, if you watch Karate Kid, you remember the shower, the bathroom scene where uh, Daniel was dressed in a, as a shower. It was Halloween and Johnny was in the bathroom rolling a joint. And Daniel came in and put the hose into the stall and got Johnny all wet and then he ran. So from Johnny's perspective, he's like, I didn't want to hurt this kid again. I was minding my own business, just sitting there in the bathroom. And all of a sudden he, he puts a hose on me and gets me all wet. So obviously I'm going to get upset and I'm going to defend myself. So along the way of Cobra Kai, you see these things from Johnny's perspective, and then you go back to his childhood and realize, geez, there was some really insecure attachments happening there. And he didn't see, he didn't feel seen. He didn't feel heard. It came across in the way that he did relationships. So it really kind of made me like Johnny a whole lot more. And then Crease. Okay. So Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the third season yet, you might just want to skip ahead a little bit because I don't want to spoil it for you. Not that this is a spoiler, because I don't really think there's any spoilers. Like, I think we know who's going to win and what's going to happen. But Crease is known to be this big bully guy that, you know, uh, fought in the war. So first we find out when Crease is a teenager that his mom has died by suicide. And then we find out that he falls in love with a girl right before he decides to enlist in the army. I think it was the army. And he goes to war. 
But before he goes to war, he tells this girl that he loves her. And this girl says, I'm going to wait for you for as long as it takes. So he goes off to war. And obviously that's going to harden you a little bit because you can't really function in a war when you're emotional. So he learns in the war to to tighten up a little bit and to, they get caught. So he's a prisoner of war. And so he gets caught with some of his other friends in the army and they're all put in this cage thing. And they, for whatever reason, they're made to fight each other on this plank. And on this plank, they either win or they lose. And if they lose, they die and they fall into this pit. So Kreese is watching his army buddies two by two going on the plank fighting each other and only one of them coming back. So then it becomes his turn. And right before he is getting onto this plank with his captain, I think it was, his captain says, I want you to know that your girlfriend died. And he gets this news right before he's about to go into this fight. And this guy that he's fighting is hanging over the edge of a of a snake pit. I'll give you one guess as to what kind of snake that was. Cobra. And the guy says, okay, the war has ended. You can pull me up now. And Kreese pushes him over. Then Kreese comes back from the war, obviously a changed man. And we don't know fully the extent of it yet because season four has not come out yet, but clearly he has suffered from a lot of tragedies in his life, goes off to war and probably suffering from PTSD upon his return. So I really, really appreciate that. And the reason I appreciate these stories behind the characters is because it really serves as a lesson to us that there is nobody that we can't like if we take the time to get to know their stories. Because if we take time to get to know what makes people who they are, then we're also taking the time to understand them. And if we can really understand why they do the things that they do, it doesn't mean we're going to like you're not going to like everybody. Maybe I said that, but you're going to understand and maybe appreciate and not, not be as judgy. So that was the lesson I got out of Cobra Kai. Also, it's just fun. It's just fun to watch. And Johnny's hilarious. My favorite is do that hash brown thing and send it to the internet. He says all sorts of funny things. He's It's hilarious. Anyways, if you haven't watched it, watch it. I don't know, though, if you're not a child of the 80s that grew up with Karate Kid, if you would appreciate it. But I would like to hear comments if you did. That's all I have to say about Cobra Kai. So now I'm just going to go ahead and get on with the show. Okay, so now that I am done talking about Cobra Kai, which I could talk about it for a while, I am going to switch gears and talk a little bit about something that you probably care more about, which is attachment theory. Attachment theory holds that people grow up in certain ways in certain environments that create this attachment pattern that they have. And that attachment pattern helps us to understand how people respond to hurt, to other people, to anything really that comes up in life. And so people are divided into different types of attachment styles. And it's not to say that you're 100% one way or the other, but usually people have a predominant one. So there's avoidant attachment, there is anxious attachment, there's secure attachment, and then there is uh, disorganized attachment. Avoidance is is categorized kind of into two different subsets, I suppose, disorganized and fear-based avoidance. 
basically what happens is if you're getting raised and there's something that a need that wasn't met by a parent and it doesn't mean that the parent's not a good person it could be that there were other things going on maybe there was substance abuse in the house by somebody else maybe somebody that was just taking up a lot of energy that energy was drawn away from you and maybe the parent didn't have the bandwidth to be able to tolerate anything that was emotional for you and what happens in this kind of an environment we start to develop sometimes abandonment issues so in order to feel safe and secure in that environment what happens is that we end up leaving your authentic self and become someone who will be accepted in that environment. Some people might become the hero. Some people might become a perfectionist. Some people might believe that they are not allowed to show up for themselves because maybe the parents or the guardians or caregivers are giving all of their energy to somebody else in the family that needs it. Uh, and you interpret them as needing it more than you. So you learn to become very independent and take care of other people and take care of yourself. So that's the disorganized attachment style in a nutshell, in a very small nutshell. Let me take a quick break and we'll get back at it where I'm gonna talk about anxious and avoidant. So I did a thing, I wrote an ebook. How to Live with Anxiety, Simple Strategies to Empowerment. I wrote it because I wanted people who don't have access to therapy to be able to have tools that they can use right away so that you can start to feel better. Now, I'm always a proponent of going to a therapist. Obviously, I am one. And nothing beats that opportunity to sit with somebody week after week to really go over the foundations of the stories you tell yourself and, and the things that are going on in your life that you're struggling with. But I do understand not everybody has access to that. And I think that everyone should have access to mental health. So I wrote this book with everybody in mind, everyone who struggles with anxiety, whether you see a therapist or not whether it is situational anxiety or maybe it's more severe chronic anxiety. It doesn't really matter. These tools that I am giving you are going to help you if you use them. But these are really easy, simple strategies that don't take a lot to implement and they've been proven to work. What it might feel like, what it does in your brain, and then you get some free worksheets to you can just download and use right away. So if you're interested in relieving your anxiety, you can find the book at payhip.com, which is P-A-Y-H-I-P.com slash lowercase b slash the number three lowercase t, lowercase v, and the number six. I'm also gonna put a link in my show notes so that you can download it from there and let me know what you think. All right, now back to the show. Oh, thank you. The next style that I'm gonna go over is the anxious or ambivalent attachment. The origins of this typically happen historically in a situation where the parent or primary caregiver has an on-again, off-again relationship with you like they show up sometimes and sometimes that they don't show up so they it's very difficult to 
have affect regulation because what happens is you end up getting anxious because there's always this fear of abandonment because you don't know if that caregiver is going to be there for you or if they're not going to be there for you. Sometimes there's these intermittent rewards that might have it happen. Like uh, maybe you get rewarded for something one time, but then you do the same thing and you don't get rewarded that time. And it just becomes confusion. And that can actually fuel and create obsessiveness. So sometimes people who struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder might also have an anxious or ambivalent attachment style as well. Over time, when this pattern continues year after year after year, what happens is you're constantly trying to get that attachment because remember, our foundational needs are that need for connectiveness and attachment, safety, and security. So what you end up doing as you get older is you start to lose the sense of who you are and it, then it becomes all about the other person. So then the codependency can pop up in this kind of a situation. You interpret that the only way that you can regulate your emotions is if that other person shows up for you all the time. So you start to become very anxious about it. You really, really want connection. There is an overactivation of the attachment system. So basically what that means is that there's an overactive right brain where all those emotions and uh, those needs really sit. And that right brain is really, really developed. So when you think about it, if you've grown up with the experience that you can't internally regulate your own emotions for yourself and, and you've learned that you can only regulate emotions with another person, therein lies the codependency. You're looking for that outside source to be the source that tells you that you're okay. You can correct this. Again, you can always correct attachment styles. And one of these ways, if you are in a relationship with somebody who is in an anxious attachment, one of the ways to do that is to notice other caring behaviors. To put it maybe into a perspective that is perhaps easier to understand, if you think about an anxious attachment style, a person in that in that style pattern, they believe that they have a better chance of having the other person love them if they keep hyperactivating their attachment system. So then they become hypervigilant. For example, if you're having an argument with a loved one and you have an anxious attachment style and they don't, so they choose to walk away from the argument because it's not going anywhere it really sends you into a survival mode. So then you're gonna now follow them into the room and say, why won't you listen to me? Like, listen to me. And then you start getting hyperactive. Finally, they listen to you and you're starting to get the message that the only way that I can get that connectiveness is to have them hear me in a way that might be loud, might be inappropriate, might cross boundaries. One way to start to correct this, if you are in a relationship with a person with an anxious attachment style, is to start to notice other caring behaviors that you exhibit that come up and that they exhibit as well so that they can start to relate safety, security, and connectiveness with calm. So maybe saying, hey, you know, doing the dishes is something that is really important to me and it makes me feel close to you when you hug me or whatever it is, having those kinds of conversations help the anxious person to remember that sometimes things are not going to go okay in an argument. Sometimes people need to take a break, but I don't have to go to a, a hypervigilant state to get the attention that I need. And it doesn't mean that if somebody walks away from me that they don't care about me.
So that's the good news is that we can we can change the behavior. So I want to move on to the next pattern of attachment, which is avoidant. Usually avoidant attachment stems from parent or caregivers, but it doesn't always have to. It can also be environmental. It can also be a temperament that a person exhibits. Avoidant attachment typically arises when a child is confronted with a certain amount of neglect. What happens is their nervous system is trying to find someone to attach to. So if they don't find that person, they form an adaptation to manage their own needs. And so these people become very reliant in, on, on themselves and they don't trust people as readily as somebody with a secure attachment might. The feeling that their needs are best met by themselves is very, very common for these kinds of people. Often avoidant personalities can see other people as dangerous. Typically in a home environment, they a, a child only sees their parent present with them if they are giving them something to do, but they're not just there with them just to hold their emotions and that space for them. So there's a lot of orientation. I talked a little bit, I think, about in the anxious attachment style where the orientation is more to that right brain hemisphere. The orientation to the avoidant attachment is more in that left brain functioning, not as much in the right brain. So they don't have as much developmental emotional responses where the right brain, that's what that gives you. Still, though, people with avoidant attachment, they still want to be attached. They just don't know how to be attached because they innately just don't trust other people to be able to hold that space for them and that safety need is not getting met. There's a lot more effort in this style to try to correct it because the system is wanting to attach and the avoidant is blocking it. So people who are avoidant attachment, they'll often want to crush that longing to attach because it's just too dangerous. So if you've ever been with somebody, or maybe you are with somebody, or maybe you are that person, that you you really are getting close to somebody and you're really, really liking it, and, and all of a sudden that person just breaks up with you if it's a romantic relationship and you have no idea what happened. That could be somebody who has an avoidant attachment style and they just think, that's too vulnerable, that's too dangerous for me to get that close, and so I need to back up. But when that longing of connection does work, then that avoidant person will become more vulnerable and begin to shift toward a more secure attachment. But you have to remember that for an avoidant person, that closeness is extremely stressful. So if you have an anxious attachment, a secure attachment, a disorganized attachment, you have attachment needs that are not getting met. But the fear that an avoidant has for being close to somebody is even greater. So we have to take that into account. It might require a little bit more patience when we are in a relationship with somebody like that. One way to help an avoidant personality start to feel better, well, at least in therapy, what I would do to help them to feel better is just ask them to take a moment and close their eyes and and just look into their eyes while their eyes are closed and focus on the eyes and track what happens in your body as you let yourself be present behind just those kind eyes. Remember that the focus of helping people get to a secure attachment is to help them feel attached. It's very much a somatic experience. So it's bottom up therapy. Basically that means that we're working with the body to get, get the connection to the body and listen to what it's telling you listen to what the emotions are telling you. So it really takes the cognitive thought out of it. So there's a lot of 
calm, safe space exercises, grounding exercises. Really just being present and mindful, mindfulness training is part of securing that attachment. So those are the three attachment styles that come up the most often, disorganized attachment, avoidant, and anxious attachment. And then of course, there's the secure attachment, which is the one that we all strive to be. And that is, if you were raised in an environment where you felt completely safe to show any kind of emotion and didn't get criticized for that emotion and felt supported, you learned what healthy communication looked like, you learned what healthy conflict looked like, and you were just allowed to take up space, then you probably will have been nurtured into a more secure attachment style. Now, that's not to say that you don't possess some elements of avoidant, disorganized, or anxious, because we all do. Nobody is 100% pure in, in any way. But at the same time, some of us have more of one than the other. And there's a lot that can happen in a relationship. And when I'm working with couples, looking at this attachment style is also really, really important because I like to know what style each partner brings to the table because it can look different if you've got an anxious and an anxious attachment and avoidant and anxious, so disorganized and avoidant, secure and avoidant or whatever the combination is gonna be. And I'm not gonna go into all that detail right now. Maybe I'll do that in a different episode about what that looks like in a partnership relationship, but working with people to understand what the style is that they're coming into the relationship with and knowing what their needs are because that those needs need to be met before a person can move into a more secure attachment. So hopefully you learned something a bit today about attachment style and I really encourage you to go ahead and click on that link that I put in the show notes and take that quiz and see where your attachment style comes up. And if you have questions or if you have comments or suggestions for a future show, I'd love to hear it. Just go ahead and leave me a message. uh, There's a link as well that you can leave a message. And I'd love to hear from you. So I hope everyone has gotten a really good start to the new year. And hopefully this year is going to be the best year yet. Thank you for listening to this episode of Therapist's Guide to Getting Unstuck. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And give a five-star rating or leave a comment in the App Store. To learn more about anxiety, trauma, and other mental health topics, follow me on Instagram and YouTube. To make an appointment with me or to read my blog, go to www.wholemindwellnessplc.com. Until next time, remember, you are worth the effort it takes to live an empowered life.